You're now tuned into the Morning Star Show with Super Size 75. <laughs> hey, don't shoot the messenger. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Morning Star Show featuring your host, Superslot75. I am your host, Superslot75. I'm going to give a shout out to Ron Aboards, Cindy Ashby, the executive producer. You can always find us on www.com on thewakeupradio.com we are also on SoundCloud YouTube, iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher for the replays in case you missed the show the call in number as always is 678-603-4393 so tonight we're going to switch up just a tad bit um, I'm going to run through some things that I kind of want to vent on a little bit and then I'll get into the crux of tonight's show. Um, the first things first. Did y'all see the picture? Um, yeah. Apparently, the casket she was she's been uh, displayed in is called the Batesville Promethean Casket. It is a full body display casket. The casket is uh, inlaid in with gold. It runs about thirty thousand dollars. Um, the picture bothered me a tad bit because I, I'd never seen uh, anyone with their legs crossed in, in, in the casket. I'm not sure how I felt about that. I, I thought it was a little bit extra, even though, yes, Aretha was flamboyant at times in, in, in life. But um, I don't know. It, 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 it was weird. It was weird. And so apparently what they're going to do is for every day of the viewing, they're going to change her outfit. That is the plan. That is what I've been told. Uh, Rita will be displayed in a different outfit every day of the viewing. Um, she is by far Detroit's finest. But the legs crossing, I'm not sure if that's a, a sign or a signal uh, to somebody else, per se. But um, I just found it a little bit odd and just a tad bit unnerving for me. I can't speak for anybody else. Um, the second topic I want to run through real quick. The New Jersey Supreme Court has now ruled that dash cams are not to be used for public uh, use or display. Now, let me put up the exact thing. Okay, the dash cam ruling. Okay, the state Supreme Court ruling that police do not need to release dash cam videos relating to criminal investigations unless an officer uses deadly force means local and state departments will likely be allowed to hide from the public what might be the only videos of potentially explosive incidents. The split ruling issued Monday declared the public has no right under state law to review such videos to determine for itself if a police officer acted appropriately during 
a high-speed chase or a rough-and-tumble handcuffing. The court said that the state's open public record laws does not apply to the recording because no state law actually requires they be made. As such, the footage falls under the law's exemption for criminal investigatory records or records police create during an investigation. An attorney specializing in public records law who represents the record in NorthJersey.com and public records cases says, I'm disappointed by the ruling. It was our shot trying to convince them that the criminal investigatory records exemption should be very narrow. Sadly, we did not land the shot. Although it still may be possible to get the records, Griffin says requesters will likely have to sue the denying department. Then they must prove to a judge that the public benefit of releasing the tapes outweighs law enforcement's desire to hide them. Let's see. So what's excluded? This pretty much started because of a case from 2012 regarding a murderous cheater, a Bloomfield man wrongfully beaten and arrested by Township Police in June of 2012. The tapes released turned things upside down. Police stopped Cheater while he was driving on the Garden State Parkway, then accused of him then accused him of trying to grab an officer's gun, eluding and resisting arrest. He faced five years in prison, but Dash cam footage released after a public records request by Jeter's lawyer showed police broke his window, hit him, and dragged him from his car. Jeter held his hands up and did not reach for the gun. Subsequently, the two officers, Sean Porter and Orlando Trinidad, were convicted in 2015 of official misconduct and other charges and sentenced to five years in jail. Jeter settled a lawsuit with the township last month for $1.6 million. But Authorities wouldn't have to have had to release that tape according to Monday's ruling because it documents a criminal pursuit and arrest. Police can deem the footage a criminal investigatory record and exempt it from public records request. This, um, I believe, is the start of more to come. I'm more than sure that other states will be following suit with this. This is bad. Um, And I'm using, and bad is just not putting into enough context of how serious this is going to be. Uh, because really, you know, even though we know police brutality has always gone on, it's the fact that technology has been able to record it and show it in real time, upload speeds. But this ruling here by New Jersey uh, is going to signal a windfall of a windfall of other states following suit, and you're going to have hordes and hordes of issues with people having issues with cops and not being able to use the footage to exonerate. Or them or make their cases for their claims so that is that for that topic the next topic um a little bit a little bit of on a kind of somber side so isaac cappy isaac cappy is an la actor he most notably was in thor the first thor okay now why is isaac cappy being mentioned in hollywood because he has accused a few people of running a Hollywood underground pedophilia ring. Uh, he has accused Seth Green. Uh, you see, over the past few days, he's been ramping up his social media posts to continue and accuse Green of being a child abuser, along with some big-name Hollywood stars, some of which are just too unbelievable, including Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Stephen Colbert, Bill Clinton, and Claire Grant. 
However, the tables have turned on Cappy, who is reportedly now under investigation by the LAPD for allegedly choking Paris Jackson at a party, threatening gun violence on social media. That's crazy. Uh, let's see. Okay, so right now they're claiming he's mentally unstable. Um, Cappy also alleges that Green invited him to join a secret party last year, starting or stating that he would be given $250,000 a year as well as any car that he wanted. This came after when where Cappy called a dinner party between him, Seth Green, and Claire Grant, where Seth allegedly told Isaac that they needed to talk about chicken, which is code word for very young children. It was here that Cappy claims Green exposed his pedophile secret, revealing that he likes to have sex with kids. Again, we only have Cappy's word to go on this. None of this has been proven in any shape, form, or fashion. This is all alleged, which, which was this, the conversation allegedly took place. Um, let's see. Cappy on social media after Isaac made these claims against various actors and directors, some of which are downright outlandish on the surface. Uh, uh, he's been said they wanted people to, to, to deal with these uh, Hollywood and individuals to be very careful. Um, he currently released some videos saying he's in fear for his life. Uh, Cappy originally made the, his claims on Periscope, but insists that he's been talking about the Hollywood pedophile ring for years. Uh, while he was an actor at one time, he claims he's been mostly blacklisted and has given up. He currently makes money as an artist in Silver Lake, but in the last few videos he's released, he has hinted that he has his house locked down on for fear of his life. Um, he claims that the LAPD is stalking him in front of his house and he could be sued for libel. Cappy continues to rant against the mainstream media who says who he says are protecting monsters. And there's a list of posts, there's a Twitter post you can go look and see where he pretty much makes the claims um, on Twitter. Which kind of makes moves me to my next point. Um, me personally, last week, week and a half, I, uh, I guess I had a back and forth with a particular YouTuber. And I'm not familiar with the Hebrew Israelite religion per se. I don't know what their belief system is, but for some odd reason, one thing that keeps popping up in all these sects, sex, S-E-C-T-S, is that they believe in older women, I mean, older men, younger women, relationships, marriages, grooming, things of that nature. So why am I saying all this? Because the particular YouTuber, he made a video and, and where he, he said that men were asking him where could he find where could they find virgins now why would grown men be asking questions about where could they find virgins now let's be honest you're not going to find any virgins uh, in their in their 20s 30s 40s and so on even late teens so for you to really find a true virgin, you basically have to deal with a child. And you have to catch this child early and do the classic grooming uh, ritual where you just kind of be the child any and everything at that point. And then once they become old enough, uh, you would, you know, 
take them, whatever, or bed them down, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then he went on into his video and said, R. Kelly was not a pedophile, but he was a G because he kept the buck with the women. He said uh, his marriage to, to Aaliyah was a good thing. There was nothing bad about it. Blah, blah, blah. So uh, I merely took what he said in his video. I posted it on my page. If you haven't seen it, it's still up there. I'm not taking it down for nobody. Um, it was his own words. I didn't add any commentary to it. So what ended up happening was his channel became instantly demonetized, right? And somehow after I made the video of what he said, he blamed me for his channel being down, which I clearly did not because that, that's not how I operate. But the, the scary part was a lot of our people um, back this man and are okay with what he said, don't have an issue with what he said. That is the most disturbing part. You know, it's funny. I can sit here and talk about white pedophiles all day. I can talk about the Clintons and Jared and Podesta and and and, and uh, the, the the flying Lolita and Pedo Island. All I can talk about the white folks all day long, which means nothing if we don't act or deal with the ones that we have in our own backyards. That means your own family members, your uncles, uh, your aunties, your mothers, your father, whoever has done anything to you. And the fact that we still sweep it under the rug and don't make it a, a, a national issue or at least a, a, a community issue. Now, once again, I don't, I don't, I'm not well versed in the whole Hebrew Israelite thing, but I'm surprised I haven't heard any Hebrew Israelites come out and denounce what this man has said. Now, I've seen a couple that identify as Hebrew Israelites try to deflect or say he didn't mean what he said, he meant it in another context. I don't understand how you mean in the context if a, if a girl has her menstruation at 11 years old, she's a woman now and she's ready to be groomed by some 40, 50 year old man. That never makes sense to me. And it still never makes sense to me. Uh, if this man was any, if he had any knowledge or sense of self, he would know that a lot of these GMO foods are purposely, you know, speeding this, these children's cycles up well, be, well beyond their, uh, well beyond their natural state. So for this, and then once again, he pulled his video down. I guess he got a lot of flack, which he should, but I'm not, I'm not happy. This dude should be driven, driven off any major social platform stopping this, this rhetoric. And anybody that supports him is just as bad, if not worse. Um, I'm still shocked that no one really in the YouTube community has really addressed it. Um, a few people have spoken about it, but it has not caught on. So which tells me there's a lot more people that's okay with this. Um, I would expect a, a, a lot of women to kind of go after this dude for that, but apparently that's not the case. And I will still keep beating the drum for this. I won't, I won't let this issue go away. Um, but like I said, it's just, um, it's disturbing. Like, it's a lot of people in our community that's okay with this. And I mean a lot. Uh, so that's, that's, that's what I've been dealing with. That's the first part of my little YouTube beef. Second part of my little YouTube is was Janet Hubert. Janet Hubert, you guys remember, it basically is this. She's been known, she everyone knows her to uh as the dark skin did. And I don't mean dark skin as an, as a denigration term of her skin complexion, but that's how you differentiate her from Daphne Maxwell Reed 
light-skinned Viv because no one knows, remembers her Daphne's full name. They remember her as light-skinned Viv, okay? So she had made, she went to uh, Facebook, made another rant about Will Smith. Now, mind you, this is the same woman that claimed Will Smith drove her son to suicide years ago. Okay, this is the same woman we're talking about. So she made a video, put it on, on Facebook. It went viral. It was sent to me. I just reposted the video. Um, maybe 48 hours after I posted the video, she sent me a cease and desist and called me a bottom feeder and um, <laughs> told me to take it down, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, wow, I'm trying to help you get your message out, you know, because oh, for the last 20 years, we've heard how evil Will Smith is and you call Alfonso Ribeiro a tampon for Will Smith, yada, yada, yada. Um, this woman is mentally, mentally ill. Seriously, mentally ill. Mental illness, mental illness is another issue in our community that's not addressed. Um, for whatever reason, um, I don't wish ill for, for the woman, but she definitely needs help. She definitely needs to stop posting messages on the internet and in hopes of it not being shared and spread, which kind of goes against the whole nature of you posting it to begin with. But um, that is what it is. I'm over it. I'm so over it. So that's how my week has been. The last two weeks have been for me, YouTube-wise. Now, let me go on to what I'm most upset about today. Um, for those that, that watch Power, they have decided to kill off Kanan. Uh, I was emotionally invested in the character of Kanan. Um, deeply, deeply disappointed in the writer's and the decision to kill off this character, I thought he had the most moral, moral stance out of all of the, these evil people at the end of the day because his his motives were justified. He was wrongly set up by, you know, basically the kids that he raised and taught, and he wanted revenge. Simple enough. I can understand that. Um, I haven't been this emotionally invested in the character since Opie from Sense of Anarchy was killed off. I haven't been this upset since then. And I know it's just silly and I'm ranting, but 50 was the only reason I even watched the show. For me. And, uh, you know, just, I, I'm really bothered by this. I know it's just petty and I know this is like way off topic. And I know niggas is like, what the fuck is he talking about power? Yes, I'm talking about power. I'm upset. Kanan was my, I was team Kanan. Okay. And you know, the way Tariq, you know, he took Tariq in and, I'm thinking he's going to do this little mentor thing with Tariq and Tariq's going to be, you know, surpass his dad down the road. I'm really upset, y'all. Like, this is really bothering the hell out of me. So now I'm like, I'll, I'll finish out the rest of the season. Next season, no Kanan, I'm, I think I'm not going to watch this show uh, anymore because he was the main role for me because he was a character that I knew guys like him. I was most um, I would rather take the most towards if I knew guys like this too. And um, man, I'm I'm still like I don't even like watching the replay of the episode because I'm so pissed that. But he went out like a G. I, I like he went out like a G, and uh, that was cool. But when he looked at Tariq and Tariq is in the, in the back of the squad car, and you know, wow. Okay, that is uh, <laughs> that's my power, my power rant. <laughs> <laughs> um, quick, quick music reference. The Jay Z 
Deontay attack. Now, when I first seen it, the first thing I said was somebody was sending them a message. I'm thinking, oh, their time is up. So the downfall now begins. Um, and I watched it again. I watched everybody's angles that, that submitted footage on Twitter. And the way that these two, it was two guys. It really was. The way that these guys were able to just kind of just walk around and then come up to the backstage, you know, you can sit here and um, fall security all day long. But if the word is out that it, your time is up, there's nothing their personal security can do for you at this point. And the fact that they were granted such access to the stage during the performance, that means those kids were let in on purpose. That's not a security detail that kind of fell asleep on the job. That was someone made a phone call and said, hey, let it take place. Whatever you see, you didn't talk, you didn't see. That's what, that's what took place. You saw a warning shot to um, Bay and Jay and I don't feel bad because they have misled and lied to you people for years. They're giving you people a false sense of illusion about access to wealth that they don't have. Um, they, they've given you mixed occultic messages. And, um, you know, people still believe that they are kings and queens of, of, of the industry. Like, no. Um, quick backstory. You know, we know that Jay took a check from Live Nation for $150 million for them to cover his tour expenses. Now, you would think a guy like Jay-Z, if he's as papered up as people claim and if his name has so much value, he would have people begging him to let them sponsor his tour instead of him taking a check. Okay, if this man has so much money, why are you taking money? Why are you taking someone else's check? You should be cutting checks, not vice versa. Okay. So my buddy, rest in peace, Kara, she um, was cool with one of the board, board of directors. I'm not going to say his name. So when I would go see her, this dude, they were so cool. This dude just let her live in his house on, on the West Coast. And he, and he was always in New York. Like this dude would spend most of, his, most of the year in New York. And he gave her the key to the house and said, the house is yours. Do as you, do as you please. And um, like that, you know. He was two years in that house and he never came back to the West Coast to visit her. I mean, as far as, you know, you call every once in a while to house things and that's about it. But basically this woman, you know, my, you know, she lived in this man and just like it was, it was out on the beach right down. Um, It was in Laguna Beach. If anyone ever been down to the West Coast, Laguna Beach, I'm getting off track. But what I'm saying is, um, if Jay is so um, business savvy and his brand is worth so much money, you would not be taking a check from a a, um, a concert promoter, basically, to put on your own shows. You did, did you not learn enough how to fund and run your own tours to do it on your own? Anyway, that way you can charge whatever you wanted for sponsorships and this and this and that. Like, you're Jay-Z. Why would people would gravitate to love to be a part of your tour. Um, I hope this is a wake-up call for Jay and Bay stands. This shot's been fired. It's just a matter of time before they're brought down by whatever means they, they pick and choose. Um, 
you know, when, when they're done with you, they're done with you. You can be the, the best lap dog. You can be the best tap dancer. You can be the best shine for these people. When they're done with you, they're done with you. They'll give you warning shots. They'll let things happen. Such as like this stage attack here. And uh, as a reminder, just say, hey, you know, we still are in control. Um, now, y'all gotta remember, like I've always said that Jay's been on, been on thin ice for the last few years, okay? So with the SEC and having to go um, report and, and testify, that was like, okay, that was a red flag for me. And then um, now with this, and then we did the Trayvon Martin documentary, what I'm being told was against the wishes of the powers that be. They did not want him to do that. It, from what I've been told, they asked him nicely to not, to not put his name on that documentary. He didn't listen. And um, now we, are, we have come to this uh, inevitable event. Um, it's just a matter of time before they're, they're brought down. Now, mind you, think about it. You know, you're, on, you're on stage with your wife. And your wife sees you get assaulted by a nobody, by, you know, some random stranger. Uh, that should scare the hell out of you if you're his wife. Because that means he can't protect himself, let alone protect you. Okay? And you're supposed to be JD. And like I said, I don't wish ill on nobody, but I don't feel bad for these people. I, I don't. I, I, I just don't. Um, I think they just, they, they've been misleading people for, too, for far too long far too long and now they're getting their wake up call their nigga moment and I don't feel bad so um, sorry about the spoilers guys for, for, for power huh? sorry <laughs> my bad Rob sorry bro <laughs> um, moving on to my next topic yo I, I, I was looking at the uh, baby apologizing the wind y'all see how bad wind looks Wayne looks terrible. Now, I'm not going to get into clone theory or anything like that, but he looks like he is literally deteriorating right in front of our eyes. And yeah, you can say the drugs, and you can say the, 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 the rock star lifestyle. I get all of that, man, but listen. I get all that, but there's too many rock stars that have done that lifestyle for far too long, and they're still kicking this dude looks like he's on his way out. Like, you know, as of, you know, next month. He looks horrible. His, he's balding. His locks at the top of his head have pretty much fell out. He looks horrible. Um, my God. I don't see how he's still walking around breathing. That's how bad he looked to me. Once again, this is from my, my vantage point, my point of view, because I'm seeing things. He looks terrible. You know, the first thing I thought was he has no soul left. You know, whatever essence, aura, chi he had, um, he has none left. Um, <laughs> you know, dead man walking. There, there it is. That's um, that's what no soul looks like. To uh, you know, and I, I, when I say that, I don't mean like you know when it's not. I mean when it's taken from you, when it's been slowly drained up out of you, not through your own will per se because you know, he was indoctrinated as a, as a kid so you got to keep in mind a lot of things he went through as a child uh, was not of his own volition so this is what happens when they suck you dry and he looks pretty much out of it so I understand why now you know he would be still back on drugs trying to escape and whatever uh, killed pain but he looked horrible 
horrible, horrible, horrible. Okay. Um, let's see, is that pretty much it for my urban topics? I believe so. So now, I'm going to get into some, some witchcraft. Now, the witchcraft thing, man, it's, it's pretty sorted. It's pretty expansive. This thing goes in 10 different directions. So I will do my best to give you the most accurate information as possible. Okay. So I made a couple phone calls, or technically rather, to some, um, some working practitioners that I am still cool with. And one of them um, gave me like a, a Celtic history. Now I'm talking, and when I say this witch, witchcraft, I mean strictly from Celtics. I don't mean the dark arts from Kennedy. I don't mean nothing, nothing to do with black people per se. I mean the Celtic version of witchcraft and how they see it and how they view it and how under their um, understanding how it came to be. For the most part, okay. So, um, let me give you a brief rundown of the most popular uh, witch covens today. So we have the old craft in the UK, USA, and Australia. So we have let me see where they at. They at. We have the Cultus Sabati. We have the Royal Windsor Coven. We have the Regency. We have the Whitestone. We have the Pickendale craft. We have the Greenwood Coven of Arden. We have the Horseman's Word. We have the Great Goose Feather Coven. And of course, the Skull and Bones, Yale. Which leads me to my next point. The, 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 the Madden game shooter, he was a Yale alumni graduate. Okay? This shooter dude is not random. Okay? Um, <laughs> it's a little bit more than him getting mad at, at losing the game to some black kid. Trust me on that, okay? Yale has a very, very old history of messing with people's heads, um, selling bone initiates. Um, for the most part, um, you were part of, that's how they vet some of the bloodlines too, is through some of the, uh, the uh, Ivy League schools, mainly like Yale's, your Harvard's, um, your Dartmouth's, things of that nature. But mainly Yale uh, is really infamous for... Um, reprogramming its students. Okay, you take it however you want. But the fact that this kid, the shooter kid, graduated from Yale, that was a red flag for me. Okay, so moving on. So then we and then we have the fairy tradition. Okay. So let me get into the history for what it was told to me from the Celtic persuade Celtic view viewpoint of how Wiccan or witchcraft came well, we're gonna say Wiccan so we can keep it simple. Okay. 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 Celtic. Celtics have no creation story. Uh, a creation story is unnecessary. Other myths describe God creating something from nothing, but they overlook one important fact. There is no such thing as nothing. The universe has always existed in one form or the other and always will. The Book of Invasions. Is an ancient Celtic myth describes wars between several Stone Age people named the Fomorians, Partholan, the Numeds, and the Furbogs. From 30,000 BC, Lorendorf, Austria, a limestone sculpture of the Great Mother was discovered. That is the oldest known statue of a deity, according to Celtic scriptures. It is not another business, once again, it's not about indigenous, aboriginals, 
Kemet, none of that. This is not about um, Canaanites, none of that. This is strictly Celtic, okay? Further south in Granada, Spain, the oldest known cousin of 13 is buried. 13, 13 colonies, um, first 13 states. So this is where you get the 13, you know, have my infamous uh, ties to it. They had various magical tools and like all Stone Age people wore animal skins for clothes. Near 4000 BC, the first megalith erected the first known example of stone magic. 2800 BC, pre-Celtic people began, began construction on stone heads. The magic circle makes its appearance. 2000 BC, Avonbury stone circle was built by the Beaker people. Okay. 2000 BC again, the Book of Invasions records the arrival of the Tuatha de Danann in Ireland. Later, the Celts settled in the British Isles. The Celts never united into an empire, and they never had a single king or queen ruling all of Celtica. Each tribe was independent and ruled itself. They were democracies. As are many cousins today, this practice of independence may explain why Wiccan cousins today are not a nationally organized religion with a central leader. Wiccans are too independent to subject, to, to subject themselves to one leader. It's not a weakness as a new religion claims, but a strength. The separation of independence of covens prevents mass corruption and the loss of individualism. For Wiccan is not a religion of followers, but leaders. Once again, 2000 BC, several North American Indians stencil hand prints on rock art. 2000 BC, the ancient pentagram is displayed. Of 1500 BC, the Celts reached North America. They write over on stones and built several stone structures. Once again, Celtic people, I'm not trying to dispute history or anything like that. This is from the Celtic point of view. 1200 BC in Britain, people worshiped Bell at Stonehenge. 992 BC, King Solomon of Israel began to worship the goddess Ashtoreth and built many temples called high places for many gods and goddesses. King Solomon is said to have invented the Kabbalah system of magic. 900 BC, the Druids are established. 874 BC, the Historia Regum Britannia records that King Vladid of Britain encouraged the study and development of magic throughout England. Caesar may have been correct in saying that magic came from Britain instead of Persia. I'm not going to touch that. I'm still going to say it came from Persia, if anything. Okay. 714 BC, Jewish prophet Isaiah likely mentions the Tuatha de Danan in Isaiah's 21:13. He calls them Dedanim. 17 BC. In 2 Kings chapter 21, Manasseh, king of Israel, placed a maypole, like Asherah pole, in Jehovah's temple. Near both courts of the temple, he built altars to all starry hosts, the zodiac, which is um, another word for the, for the starry hosts, the zodiac signs. 713 BC, the Bible mentions several magical beings, the Satyr, which is the earth spirit, and the sweet owl, a wind spirit, in Isaiah 34, 14. Dragon, a fire spirit in Isaiah 13.22, and unicorns, a water spirit in Isaiah 34.7. Let's see. Oh, I had a caller. My bad caller. Sorry about that. Um, 700 BC, the Zoroaster, the Median prophet taught about all gods and all evil. Uh, much of the new religions believed were taken from this religion. 
Christians claim they get the belief in a Satan from the Jews. It's been disputed. Uh, the Jews, contrary to Christian claims, never adopted a Satan, but neither did Wicca. So that's up for dispute. 600 BC, the Bible in Jeremiah 7, 18 and 44, 19 describes pagans, which are the Celts from Turkey, making cakes for the goddess, building a bonfire, burning incense, and pouring out drink offerings. So these rituals are still practiced by witches today. Okay. 600 BC, no, no, 562 BC, the Bible and First Kings 14.23 stated pagans used sacred stones and astral poles. These sacred stones were placed in a circle around the worship site. The astral pole is a maypole. These pagans believe that all trees were inhabited by the goddess called Asherah. And they're called the Dryads of today. 500 BC in Britain, people worshipped the Apollo at Stonehenge. 230 BC, the Greek botanist Theophrastus wrote a book on using herbs for medicine. About 45 BC, a Roman, po a Roman poet, uh, Tibullus, wrote about a worshiper of the goddess Hecate, casting a magic circle, singing and eating cakes as we can see today. 40 BC, Propietus, a Roman poet, wrote about the witches using herbs. 20 BC, Horus, a Roman poet, interviewed a witch named Canidia. In the interview, Horus refers to a book of spells and magic as science. He also wrote in his satires about two witches, I'm sorry, two witches practicing sympathetic magic and worshiping the goddess. 24 Strabo, the Greek geographer, wrote the Celtics didn't waste their natural resources. Uh, 150 BC. Lucia Peleus, a Roman novelist and philosopher, wrote in his Demagia that magic was a noble art and not evil. He also wrote the novel Metamorphosis, where a woman named Nero worshipped the mother goddess Isis. Okay. 313 BC. Christianity becomes the official state religion of the Roman Empire. At a meeting at Milan bishops for the first time declared that all gods except their god was false. 385, Emperor Theodosius I established the death penalty for using magic. 450, the Historia Regime Britannia records that King Vortigern of Britain used magicians in his court. This is after Britain was supposed to be a Christian nation. Okay. Emperor Marian of Chalcedon in 451 AD invented the doctrine of Mariolatry. That is the worship of Mary. 542, King Arthur unites Britain and established a policy of dual allegiance to both pagan and Christian. The history the Historia Regime Britannia states that Arthur used some 200 astrologers from Monmouthshire. Additionally, Merlin, according to the Historia Regime Britannia, had a familiar spirit. Familiar spirits are strictly forbidden in the New Religions Bible. Let's see. 597 reports that Pope Gregory I sent Augustine to the Angles of Britain because he had completely rejected Christianity. 616, the Anglo Saxon Chronicle reported that Ebald, King of Kent, rejected Christianity and followed pagan customs. 633, the Historia reports the murder of King Edwin's trusted magician. That was a big deal. 
793, Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reported that heathens destroyed churches. Uh, let's see. Most churches were built over pagan holy sites. In fact, Mordain in Paris was built over Zanuno's temple. Zanuno's name is carved under the altar. Worms Cathedral in Germany is built over a temple of Zeus. And St. Paul's Cathedral in London was built over Diana's temple. 919, the Norse Kingdom of York is established by Reginald, bringing the Norse religion influence into Wicca, such as runes and Norse, Norse uh, mythology. By 1000, the Christian Church had adopted the pentagram as a symbol of the ascending of Christ into heaven and the five runes of Christ. A pentagram is stained in glass is displayed in Worms Cathedral in Worms, Germany. Okay. In the Middle Ages, the wear of the witch's high conical hat became a rage in fashion. Uh, the hat was a safety device. Country folk, while traveling through the forest, would be struck by falling cones or branches. As an object fell, it struck the cone of the hat and would bounce away from the wearer's head and face. In 1050, the church for the first time declares that the Roman goddess light, Lucifer, as Satan. Once again, 1050, the church for the first time declares that the Roman god of light, Lucifer, as Satan. You see what they spin this, right? Okay. 1229, the council at Toulouse, at Toulouse denied the Bible to all except priests and higher officials. And they were reason to prevent people from interpreting it. 1324, Dame Alice uh, Keitler, a Wiccan, wealthy, attractive, and influential Anglo-Irish lady was charged with witchcraft. She appealed to King Edward II and all charges were dropped in spite of the enormous evidence that she was indeed a witch. 1349, King Edward III establishes two covens of 13, the Order of St. George and the Order of the Garter. George's covens for the Prince of Wales and the Garter coven for himself the garter was a symbol of a coven and was worn by the high priestess of the coven. And if you understand what I'm talking about, a garter is the garter belt. You know, the garter belt that you, you know, the husband takes off the wife during the marriage the wedding ceremony. Okay. By the end of Edward III's reign, he acquired nearly 170 garters. This practice of the high priestess wearing a garter continues with modern weapons today. So basically, when you take all you husbands that took off your wife's garter belt, during your wedding, you just practice some, some Wiccan. That's a Wiccan thing. So, 1431, Joan of Arc, convicted of witch and the saint of the church, was burned at the stake by the official church. Uh, Joan of Arc came from Lorraine, an area before and after her time was declared to be the center of witchcraft in France. Joan of Arc was often called the Maiden. The Maiden is an office held within a coven. Also, her friend Gilles de Race, a close friend of Miss Ark, was executed for alchemy. 1540, Martin Luther supports the death penalty for pagans. 1550, John Calvin supports the death penalty for pagans. Okay. 1584, Sir Reginald Scott wrote, The discovery of witchcraft, protesting the horrible treatment of witches, and asked the public to review the legal process. 1588, the British fleet engaged the Spanish Armada at the Battle of Ravines. On July 22nd, on the 27th through 29th, 
and routed it. The Spanish Armada was still a threat to the mainland England, for if the troops landed, England would be lost. So the pagans cast the magic for the destruction of the Armada, Armada and the storm destroyed much of the Spanish fleet. Now, that's an important part because there's been another time when uh, witches or magicians got together to fight in a war. And I'm going to it's going to it's about Hitler I'll get to that point I'll make the connecting points in a minute okay so 1628 Robin Goodfellow is published that's Robin Hood for everybody it displays a picture of the witches God with 12 worshippers inside a circle documenting a covenant of 13 1663 witchcraft is reported to be numerous in America 1693 Governor Phipps ended legal witch hunts 1703 Judge Nicholas Trout of Charleston, South Carolina stated, there are witches and they have done good for the common cause of religion. Okay. 1706, Grace Sherwood of Princess Anne County, Virginia was tried as a witch, but she was released. 1717, the Druids' religion publicly reinstated. 1735, English witchcraft laws were repealed. 1736, American witchcraft laws repealed. 1816, the end of the burning times. Pope Pius VII abolished the practice of torturing witches. 1821 to 1823, the famine in Ireland, which is the potato famine, I believe, drives many Irish pagans to the U.S., bringing much of Irish witchcraft to the American covens. 1872, the Druid Society is founded in Germany. 1886, October 28th, the world's largest statue of the goddess is dedicated to the Statue of Liberty. An interesting note is why was there so much support for the, erect, uh, for the establishment of a pagan goddess in a so-called Christian nation during economically hard times? That is a big question. Okay, so now we're getting to the meat and potatoes of this. 1920s, witchcraft was revived in Europe and America. 1887 to 1927, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle publishes Sherlock Holmes. 1908, Winston Churchill becomes a Druid at Blenheim Plate Palace. 1940, many Celtic witchcraft covens in England. England used magical powers to prevent Hitler from invading Hitler um, from invading England. I'm sorry. They also sent fog to aid the evacuation of British troops from Dunkirk. Okay, so Dunkirk movie, uh, Chris Nolan, um, they were getting a butt kicked and they had no rescue uh, options. So they, they made a call to regular civilians to get their ships, um, their boats, to get the men out of harm's way. That's what the movie Dunkirk was about. But they didn't tell you what's in the movie. They had to just bless um, all the people that were going to go out and go save the, uh, rescue the soldiers. Okay. 1960, the Vatican prohibits the harassment of witches. Once again, 1960, the Vatican prohibits the harassment of witches. We're not too far from that removal, you guys. 1970, the U.S. Department of Defense publishes a pamphlet stating witchcraft is not Satanism. It covers the history and correctly defines the religion. 1982, the United States Air Force chaplain proves Staff Sergeant Nathan Crisp to function as a Wiccan lay leader and provides the use of chapel facilities for worship. That is the 
Air Force people in 1992. Okay. So now that is Celtic Wiccan according to them and how it came to be now. Okay. Um, so let me get to where they used um, the witches against Hitler. It's a, it's a most interesting Yes, it's called Operation Cone of Power. Okay. In the summer of 1940, just weeks after the by the British armies at Dunkirk, the United Kingdom was braced for the onslaught of the threatened German invasion. Okay. Another nation, South Coast, one of the many areas of danger of invasion from the sea, towns and villages were transformed by sandbags. Barricades and barbed wire into coastal redoubts where volunteers kept watch on the sea and sky. The Battle of Britain was yet to reach its peak, but the drone of enemy planning could be heard flying over the head. Mm, okay, in the town of High Cliff on sea, the story goes a secretive group of witches and spiritual seekers, seekers uh, resolved to do what they could to defend their country. It said that they arranged to meet in an ancient forest before midnight. On August 4th, 1940, the eve of Lammas Day, a harvest festival and one of the greater Sabbaths of the neo pagan religion known as Wicca. Okay. Now there, they are said to have staged a magical assault on the mind of Adolf Hitler in distant Berlin by means of a ritual that became known by the last military codename Operation Cone of Power. According to Gerald Gardner, now Gerald Gardner is right now considered hit. Okay, so modern Wicca is pretty much defined by two main sects. It's either Gardenia witches or Alexandria witches. So Gardner is the founder of the Gardenia version of witches. We'll get into that in a minute. Okay, so according to Gerald Gardner, the retired British silver servant who founded modern Wicca. The magical assault was based on secret knowledge passed down through generations of English witches. In his 1964 book, Witchcraft Today, Gardner wrote that invasions had been turned back by magic twice before in English history. The first in 1588, and I uh, just mentioned when the Spanish Armada became discouraged after being scattered by storms, and then in 1805 when Napoleon called off his planned invasion of England. Okay. An English folk tale relates that the British Admiral at the time of the Armada, uh, Francis Drake, had joined a group of sea witches at a headland called Devil's Point near the naval port of Plymouth to attack the approaching Spanish ships with a magical storm. It is said that on foggy days at Devil's Point, the disembodied chants of Drake and the witches can still be heard. Uh, and in early 19th century, Gardner wrote another group of English witches cast spells to, be, to deter Napoleon. Gardner claimed that similar rituals were used in 1940 against the, the Nazi leader by a secretive coven of witches who lived around Highcliffe. Witches did not cast spells to stop Hitler landing at the French cells. He wrote in witchcraft today. They met, raised the great cone of power, and directed the thought of Hitler's brain. You cannot cross the sea just as their great-grandfathers had done to Boney and their remoter forefathers had done to the Spanish Armada. I am not saying that they stopped Hitler. All I say is that they saw a very interesting ceremony performed with the intention of putting a certain idea into mind 
and though all invasion barges were ready, the fact that was that Hitler never even tried to come. So they used the art of uh, persuasion per se, you know. Let's see. The British author and Wiccan Philip Heckleton has researched Operation Cone of Power for Witch Father, his biography of Gardner and several other books, think 17 people took part in the Lama's Eve ritual in 1940, including members of his local family said to be descended from witches. They were joined by several high cliff, high cliff residents like Gardner who had met through a local uh, dramaturgical group called the Rosicrucians Cortona Fellowship which had links to older esoteric groups such as the Co-Masons, which was a form of Freemasonry that admitted women, and the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is Aleister Crowley's, um, that's Crowley's stuff. Okay. Heckleton believed that the group met in the New Forest, a few miles north of High Cliff, near an ancient uh, gallows tree called the Naked Man, and made their way by foot to the site selected for the ritual near a woodland called Fernie Map Enclosure. In a forest clearing surrounded by pines, Hilton wrote in which father they marked out a witch's circle, the stage for their magical efforts, in place of a, of a traditional bonfire, perhaps for fear of being spotted by an enemy aircraft or local air defense warden. A flashlight or shuttle lantern may have been placed to the east of the witch's circle in the direction of Berlin. As a focus for their magical assaults, naked or sky clad as Wiccan say, they began to dance in a spiraling pattern around the circle, building up to communal aesthetic state that they believe can control magical forces. As they danced, their chants echoed the magical formula Gardner said had been used in earlier ceremonies against the Armada and Napoleon, a psychological assault in the mind of Adolf Hitler that they hoped would weaken his resolve to invade England. Okay, now it says whether or not the ritual happened, it tells us something about what those witches wanted to be true. It's also about the power of witches to do something that is nearly impossible. It is also about the patriotism of these witches, and it also talks about the power of witchcraft to channel the energies of the earth, of nature, through their bodies to create this cone of power. Okay, now. Questions about his version of events arose in the 1970s when they were challenged by Amado Crowley, a writer who claimed to be the son and magical heir of the famous British occultist Alistair Crowley. Crowley wrote that the ritual described by Gardner was a fiction based on a real-time war ritual carried out by his father, which had been witnessed as a boy. He claimed that the ritual dubbed Operation Mistletoe had taken place in the Ashdown Forest in Sussex in early 1941 with a detachment of Canadian soldiers dressed in wizardly robes and a dummy in Nazi uniform seized on its room. Okay. Uh, Operation Mistletoe, related by Richard uh, Spence in his 2008 book, Secret Agent 666, the British authorities only wanted the superstitious Nazi leaders to learn that they were being attacked by British magic, but after the plan was dropped, Crowley's in head and did it on his own. Amado Crowley also claimed that one result of his father's magical trick was the, the bizarre episode of 1941 when the Nazi deputy leader Rudolf Hess made an unexpected solo flight across the North Sea in Messerschmitt, 
fighter plane before bailing out by parachute over Scotland because he lost his way and ran out of fuel. Hess made his journey in the misguided belief that he could single-handedly convince the British to make peace with the Germans, but he ended up in prison until he died in 1987. Okay, Hesselton believed that the Operation Cone of Power probably did take place as Garden describes because such magical ceremonies would have been an important expression of belief for the community of witches who have been then come to known as the New Force Coven. Hesselton also points out that the group that Gardner was involved with, the so-called New Force Coven of Witches, were mostly too old to join the armed military or civil force and civil defense forces. But they were motivated by the time to take part in the defense of their country, however it could be achieved. So they used what skills they believed they had, which were magical ones. Operation Cone of Power was just something short of the thing has done. Okay. So that's that. Um, now getting back to this uh, Gerald Gardner guy now. And in the mid-1930s, uh, Gerald Gardner was an amateur anthropologist, an archaeologist. He returned to Britain for his retirement. Uh, Gardner felt that the climate here was making him sick and sought treatment. His doctor recommended him he try nudism. He liked it at first. Gerald gave it a try by visiting several nudist clubs. The positive nudity was the truth is, and he created the, the new forest coven. Okay, so one night in 1939, when Mr. Gardner was closed, blindfolded him and rolled him into a room. Here he was pushed into a ceremonial circle, surrounded by other naked witches, and he could hear them whisper Wicca. He said the word was English for witch, since he was familiar with Margaret Murray's theory of the witch cult. Here they gave him the secret and the power of the ancient religion. Okay, Gardner's family uh, made a fortune in a timber trade, which allowed him to send him abroad with his nanny, let alone to fence for himself. Gardner found a passion for learning. He enjoyed studying about tribal tribal rituals in the many countries he visited, mostly in the far east. His fascination with tribal magic, it was said that between his infatuation with magic and Arthur Conan Doyle, who dealt in spiritualism, Gerald began to experiment with seances and finding what he considered to be his spiritual heaven. Okay. Arriving back in Britain, it was here he found many Freemasons who felt the same passion and indulged in the New England uh, ritual to, to, uh, tradition of witchcraft. Now, there are similarities between Freemasons and Wicca. And these are the three degrees, the craft, so mode it be, the challenge, properly prepared, the first degree oath, and presentation of the working tools at the first degree. That's where the similarities between masonry and Wicca pretty much stop and start. Okay. Okay, okay. Okay. All right, so getting back to Gerald. Okay, one night, 1940, Gerald and Okay, we pass all this. We're not staying. Okay, the great circle was erected at night with the great cone of power, a form of magical energy being raised and sent to Berlin with a command you cannot cross the sea. Okay, I just, there's a picture of uh, his book of his 
magical drawings and stuff. Okay, so the book. Okay. In the 1940s, being open Wiccan was seen as radical and could land in jail. Britain was still orthodox. Moving to London, Gardner wanted to share his knowledge and in 1949 published his first book, High Magic Aid. This fictional book was filled with tribalesque rituals and ceremonies, stories of surely indulging in dating society with his craft. Many people say this book is what led to Britain banning their hate and war against witchcraft. Okay. Okay. It became Gardner's duty to do whatever he could to make sure Wicca lived on for centuries to come. In 1954, he published yet another book, Witchcraft Today, teaching others how to embrace it fully. Following came the opening of his Wicca Museum that included newspaper coverage and television interviews. Now, that's the first line of modern-day Wiccan. The second one is called the Alexandrian Tradition. Uh, the Alexandrian tradition of Wicca was established in the 1960s by Alexander's and his wife, Maxine. Originally, Alex claimed to have been initiated by his grandmother when he was seven years old, but later admitted that it was untrue. In fact, he was initiated into a regular Gardenian cousin by one Patricia and Arnold Crowther, initiated a lady by the name of Pat Kapansky. Okay. When Alex began to publicize Wicca, we encountered a strong opposition from more traditional members of the craft. Some saw it as nothing more than a bid by Alex for personal variety. Others thought he was profaning a mystery. <clears throat> okay. Daniel and Stuart married in, you know, over the past 29 years, published several books about Wicca, or the Jadu, published in 1971. Wicca is completely on the Alexandrian tradition remains the best guide <coughs> to the way in which a typical Alexandrian coven operates. Rare, but perhaps still available in second-hand shops. Uh, the second book was called A Witch is Born, which also sheds light on traditional Alexandrian covens. Okay. Most Alexandrian covens will allow non-initiates non to attend circles, usually as a neophyte, who undergo basic training in circle craft and complete a number of projects uh, prior to being accepted by the Covenant for Initiation to the first degree, like recently. Some, though not all, Alexandria Covenants will also welcome non-initiated guests at certain meetings. Alexandria Wiccan uses essentially the same tools and rituals as Gardenia Wicca, though in some cases the tools are used differently and the rituals have been adapted. Another frequent change is to be found in the names of the deities and guardians of the quarters. In some ways, these differences are merely cosmetic, but in others, there are fundamental differences in philosophy. Okay, take a good moment to stop there, and we'll take a quick break and uh, be back for the next hour hours of talking points. So I will be back in five and five. All right. Once again, you are back on the uh, Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot Seven Five. I'm your gracious host, Super Slot Seven Five. <clears throat> I want to give a quick shout out to Ra on the boards and producer extraordinaire Cindy Ashby. Uh, so we always catch us on the www.onthewakeofradio.com. We are on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher for the replays. Um, you can find me on YouTube under Superstar75 and Heavily Ford Individual. 
merchandise is available also at teespring.com forward slash super slash 75. All right, so we were just briefly conversing, and I'm being facetious when I say the briefly conversing about witches and Wicca. Um, like I said, that was the mainly the background I gave you is from the Celtic version. Like I said, there's many, many different versions of witches. I'm not going to sit here and say who claims to be the first witch or the first practitioner of Wicca. Um, but like I said, you do have references to the dark arts, which mainly, you know, was referring to those of melanated hue that practiced the arts that were passed down to non-initiates, uh, you know, um, Tamahus, things of that nature. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to talk briefly about the Grand Canyon. Now, why am I talking about the Grand Canyon? Because I did not know that the Grand Canyon apparently has uh, an underground cavern where giants supposedly lived. Okay, so uh, the story goes. So basically, in 1909, the I believe it was the Arizona Gazette, or called the Phoenix Gazette, they published a story that said basically they found uh, an underground cavern, which is pretty inaccessible. And in this cavern, uh, they found the bodies uh, that were wrapped in certain fabrics, and these bodies were at, at the very least are roughly nine feet tall. Okay, so let's see here. Okay, one of the most prominent interesting facts of this story is that names have been given to the several common features in the Grand Canyon on the north side of the Colorado River. They are they are called the Tower Seti, the Tower of Ra, the Horus Temple, the Osiris Temple, and the Isis Temple. This uh, story originated in, 19, in, in a newspaper article in the Phoenix, I'm sorry, the Phoenix Gazette on April 5th, 1909, uh, Professor S.A. Jordan of the Smithsonian Institute discovered a rock-cut vault in the Grand Canyon. The cave entrance was supposedly very hard to get to. Um, let's see. The mummies and artifacts found relate to that is now impossible to get to in this area of the Grand Canyon is now supposedly off-limits due to part personnel and under military control. The cave entrance is said at 2,000 feet above the river. Uh, and there's drawings of the underground cavern. Okay, this is, uh, the Smithsonian denies the knowledge of the ex excavation. Um, but some leakers say this is all part of the cover to keep this kind from existing from being public knowledge and keep our history of the Northern Hemisphere intact. Okay. Uh, they say there's you can look at the Olmec heads and depict African faces that were found in Central America as reference. Uh, they deny that any ancient culture came over to the Northern Hemisphere before Columbus. No, 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 that's interesting. Okay, here's another one. Spirit Cave in Lovelock, Nevada. The best documented and most verifiable account of giant remains comes from Spirit Cave in Lovelock, Nevada. In 1911, James Hart and David Pugh discovered the remains of several red-haired giants, as well as numerous cultural artifacts. In 1912, professional ex excavations under the directions of Llewellyn Loud began, and all almost 60 bodies were recovered. 
two skulls recovered from Lovelock Cave can still be seen in museums in Winnemecca, Nevada. The Paiute Indians also knew about this cave. In fact, they have a tale about their ancestors killing all the red-haired giants known to them as the Sea Taka that once lived there. Later, settlers worked in the cave and using the back guano that was several feet deep. During this removal, they discovered artifacts and the skeletons. The Paiutes were feuding with the Sitaka and finally got them all in the cave and burned brush at its entrance so they were all dead. And there's a video of the cave itself. Now, according to this, the, the remains are now being fought over by different government agencies and the Native American tribes, the Paiute Indians. And there are more lesser known stories about ancient giants in the desert southwest and also in the Midwest. In fact, more giant mummies have been found in Minnesota at the site of the mound builders than anywhere else in the world. That is very interesting. Okay. If the mummies and artifacts were found, then should be a item to be hidden or the truth should be suppressed. This could change the idea of a social event unfolded in the area of the Southwest and even the world. Uh, just simple facts like finding the macaw feathers in the Anasazi ruins of the four corners of the Southwest mean that they had to trade with native cultures in Central America. And there are also many instances where this was shown to be true. Okay. Matt's lab. Okay, so going back to the Grand Canyon. Okay, the article mentions the discovery of an, an enormous underground citadel by an explorer named Gene E. Kincaid, who stumbled upon it while rafting on the Colorado River. It is worth mentioning that Kincaid was also an established archaeologist and had financial backing from the Smithsonian Institute. Uh, the entrance to the city was almost was at the end of a tunnel that stretched for almost a mile underground. Okay. First, I would impress that the cavern is nearly inaccessible to the with. The entrance is 1,486 feet down the sheer canyon wall. Excuse me. It is located on government land and no visitor will be allowed there under penalty of trespass. Okay. The architecture suggested the builders of the underground city possessed advanced engineering skills. The central hub of the subterranean city was a mammoth chamber with its passageways radiated like spokes on a wheel. The walls of the main chamber were adorned with copper weapons and tablets covered in hieroglyphic symbols, not dissimilar to those found in Egypt. Another finding that pointed to an Egyptian link were the mummified bodies by far the most intriguing things inside the citadel. No mummy measured less than nine feet, and all of them were wrapped in dark linen. Kincaid wrote he had stood one of them up and photographed it by flashlight, but that photo was nowhere to be found. Further exploration revealed something about the religion of the city's giant inhabitants. Over 100 feet from the entrance is the Cross Hall, several hundred feet long, in which are found the idol or image of the people's god sitting cross-legged with a lotus flower or lily in each hand. The cast of the facial is oriental, and so is the carving of this cavern. 
The idol almost resembles Buddha, but scientists are not certain as to what religion worship it represents. In the article records that the discovery of the pottery and instruments all bearing the signs of having originated elsewhere in the world, such a melange of cultures is rarely counted in archaeological finds, making this discovery one of the unprecedented importance. The last ten letter-related explorations were Kincaid and his partner Professor S. A. Jordan believed to be a ceremonial crypt. It was located at the end of the large room where all the other mummies had been found. There is one chamber of the passageway which is not ventilated, and when we approached it, it was a deadly, smoky smell struck us. Our light would not penetrate the gloom, and until stronger ones are available, we will not know what the chamber contains. Some say snakes, but others think they may contain a deadly gas or chemicals used by the ancients. Uh, he says the whole underground insulation gave one of the shaking nerves to creeps. Okay, unfortunately the article stopped before giving more details about this crucial discovery. In fact, no other official mention of this underground physics has been made. Okay. John Rose once said that he knew the exact location of the entrance to the city, but that it was guarded 24-7 by soldiers carrying in 16 rifles. Mm -hmm. okay. Alright, so that was that as far as the Giants is concerned. And once again, if you have any questions or anything like that, sorry, sorry guys, you can't hear me. Uh, so yeah, if you have any questions, the call-in number is 678-603-4393. So, bear with me, guys. Bear with me. That's for that. Continue. Let me else in my notes that I want to cover tonight. Um, okay. Um. Bear with me, I'm just looking for my notes. There was one particular note I was looking for that we pertained to some Indians that would that built their their huts on the side of a mountain to prevent giants from attacking them and I was and I was doing some research about that and it just disappeared all of a sudden of course I'm looking for something okay I, I got something so going back to my um a podcast the last time about gender inverts and gender inversions uh, men and women female the male male the female okay so there's one particular person I came across and her name, <laughs> her name now is called, is named Martine Rothblatt. Okay. Now, who is Martine Rothblatt? Martine Rothblatt is right now a CEO of a biopharmaceutical company. Uh, now, she was born a man and came out as a transgender at the age of 40. 
she, he is the founder of the chairwoman of the board of United Therapeutics, also the CEO of Geostar. Now, mind you, she, well, was born in 1954, law degree. Uh, now, mind you, this woman, well, he, she uh, is the co-creator of Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Now, if you know the history of Sirius, you go into the dog star. I'm not going to get to the astrology part of it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of male, to, male to female, female to male transitions are, it's just, it's coming out more and more, um, weird, weird, weird. Okay. Um, I'm coming to some more notes. Okay. Quick note um, about Hitler. Uh, so Hitler is the grandson of Lionel Nathan Rothschild. Now we all know he's a Jew. Okay. So the the, the bloodline goes. You have Lionel Nathan Rothschild, and his son is Alois Hitler. And then he birthed Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler is a is the precursor to Evelyn Rothschild. Evelyn is the current big dog Rothschild. Now let's see. Okay, so Mathilde Schuckelgruber, a servant at the Rothschild mansion, had an illegitimate son with Lionel Nathan Rothschild, November twenty second, eighteen oh eight. No, I'm sorry. Lionel birthday, I'm sorry, in 1808 through 19, June of 1879. Uh, the child was named Alois Shekelgruber. And Alois Shekelgruber married Sierra Polizzi. Alois officially changed his last name with the Austrian ministry to Hitler. Hitler was his mother-in-law's maiden name. He took it and then making him known to be the illegitimate uh, they had three children together. That would be Gustav, Adolf, and Paula. And Evelyn Rothschild is the great-grandson of Lionel Nathan Rothschild. I knew he was related. I just didn't know how and through who. So now I know how and through who. So, I think, you know, it's funny how that, like, the lower, the lower rung Jews were just despise Hitler to, to, to no end and I'm like they only knew you know his actual history that he was related to you know that time but man, I'm, I'm going off track I digress I digress uh, let's see once again if you guys have any questions call in number is what the hell is it call in number Six seven eight six zero three four three nine three. Now, what I'm going to do is take a real quick break, and I'm going to wrap this bad boy up with a long-winded spell. So I will be back in about five and five. All right, and you are back uh, <clears throat> with the Morning Star Show featuring Super Slot Seventy Five. I am your gracious host, Super Slot Seventy Five. I'm going to give a shout out to Ron the Board and our producer extraordinaire Cindy Ashby. You can catch us on www.ontheweekabilio.com. We're also on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. 
for the replays. The call in number is 678-603-4393. I then also be found under SuperSlot75 and heavily fought in the video on YouTube. Also, merchandise is available at teespring.com forward slash SuperSlot75. So, last stretch. Uh, we're going to wrap the thing up with some more you know, kind of magical stuff here. Now, first things first. Um, you always thought that you were born with five senses, okay? And you do actually have four. You have four physical. Well, we got a caller on the line. Caller, how's it going? Who, who is this? Hello, Hello? caller. Hey, how? Yeah, how you doing? How you doing? It's Quez. So, what's on your mind tonight? All right, I just had a couple questions for you. Um, sure. First question. Um, you know the Hebrews. You know they talk about. King James being a black man, I was trying to see if there's any evidence for that. I've heard references that he was a melanated person. I personally don't have the smoking gun to back that up per se. I would have to. I would have okay. the person looking through my stuff. I've, I've always heard that, but I don't have any. I don't have any concrete proof of that. Okay. All right, all right. Then my second question is going to be: Now you know about the whole Black Panther movie and all that. Um, now, did you hear about Bruce Riley? He came out. He's the director of uh, Sorry to Bother You. And he came out and he was saying that Spike Lee fabricated some of the movie, you know, to, to sensationalize, to get people, you know, to go, oh, look at this black man infiltrating and, you know, to make the cops look good as well. Did you, did you hear about that? That is correct. Um, I read the book. The uh, the guy actually wrote oh, wow. the book. The book is nothing like the movie. So anytime you have a book adaptation to a movie, it, it always gets butchered. And it, it never goes, you know, line for line with what you expect in the book. So, yeah, a lot of it, especially when the shit with Trump, I was like, okay, now you know it's bullshit. You know, this movie should have never mentioned anything about present-day politics at all. But, you know, if you ask me, Spike Lee on his last leg at this point, like, no one takes him seriously anymore, to be honest with you. I mean, the Chirac movie... Uh, this one, now I'm just like, you know, I don't expect anything great from Spike at this point. I think he's, he's done as far as, as, as a film director. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said you actually read the book. So mm -hmm. what was, you know, not to stay too long with it, but what was what was the difference that you've seen? Well, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but what was something that you've seen in the book that they probably didn't mention in the movie? Well, you know how they always, they condensed the timeline in the movie, and the book is much, much much longer you know police work is really boring you know it's, um yeah it, it, it was nowhere near as exciting as they made made it in the movie you know and then in the book him and the guy the guy that was his spokesman they really didn't get along so like in the movie they were like really buddy buddy and you had this black jewish uh coalition to come together to take down the Klansmen. it wasn't even like that in the book they didn't even like each other like that and I, I guess he implied in the book that they kind of had to do this to, at, at the behest of the chief. So um, a lot of the camaraderieism that you see in the movie was not was, was not was not the case. Damn. And then he made right, the plans look really dumb. So and you know it, it it just it made the guys look real dumb. It made David look David Duke really stupid in the movie and and in the book he really yeah they did. It's it, it, it so it's so uh, just so. You know, open to being with and just and roll over the phone. That's not how they. Wow. That's not how they got to back then. So yeah. Wow. 
Well, hey, brother, those are the only two questions I have right now. Well, I appreciate you calling in. All right, you have a good night. You too, sir. Thank you. All right. So, yeah, Black Klansman, oof, thumbs down, thumbs down. I wouldn't even do a movie review in that movie. So, um, yeah, let me get back to my final magic notes. Okay. So, <clears throat> Basically, you have four. You have, you've been told you have five senses. You actually have four, uh, four physical, and which equates to touch. So the vibrations of uh, objects give us familiar taste. Same vibrations of food, uh, places, people, things vibrating with sound. Uh, adjust itself to the antennas of your nose, eyes, and ears and lips. So in actuality, you have nine senses. You have four physical senses and five spiritual senses. Your four physical senses are touch, uh, your five spiritual senses are called biocophonema, telepathic, psychometry, anonymity, and pneumotodia, or pneumodia, I'm sorry, refined sound into emotion. And all of these set the conditions of every unit of behavioral, behavioral measurement. So to circumscribe your desires and square out your actions, you have to be disciplined in your daily life. So a circle has implied motion and a square implies stability. These two together form uh, your soul and the template of man from womb to tomb. Uh, every secret society rite of passage are the menstrual cycles and it's any end menstrual. And the cycles of Ma, mother nature, women, all rituals imagined are based on the cycles of the woman's spiritual journey into the physical. Uh, every god dwells in a womb called heaven and a devil in another womb called hell. Hell with the square and heaven with the square of the cipher uh, in the Quran and in the Bible, female and male, sun and moon, uh, the sound and emotions of every innumerable thought of premium material, aka masculine and feminine primordial mind. So to be solidified with sound and express emotion Nature has to be formless. This formlessness is the supreme being we call water, and water births all signs. So, with that being said, that was my little, my little uh, magic wrap up. And I'm just looking at Cindy. She said, "White folks were crying after the movie was over." Why they told me to hear my folks in the movie? <laughs> you know what? If you want, if you want a nice chuckle, yeah, go see Black Klansman just to see how over the top it really it really was like i said i, I wrote i read the book of the original um guy's experience and it's and of course any type of adaptation from book to movies is always never the case uh it's always a letdown almost to a certain extent so um we've got 20 minutes left like i said if you guys want to call in call in number six seven eight six zero three four three nine three and i should have some more Last minute notes for you guys. I'm just gonna go through the comments. See if I'm in the comments. Um, bear with me. These comments are funny. Funny. Um. So yeah. Um. He. <laughs> he. Hmm. Oh, yes. Let me talk about Michael Jackson and the Eagles. I know everybody's upset 
about Michael not being, no longer being, having the most albums sold in the U.S. because the Eagles took that spot. Okay, I need to bring some, some, some gravity to this situation. Um, honestly, people, how long did y'all expect Michael to have the, 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 the greatest or the most selling album of all time? If I'm not mistaken, he sits at what? Let me look it up. Sorry, I'm not telling you guys the wrong thing. Album sales, and I'm I'm gonna make a point with this. Okay, so as of right now, Thriller has sold. Okay, as of. 2017, Michael has sold 32 million. Okay, okay. Now, here we have different numbers. So they're saying that Thriller has sold 105 million copies globally. That's globally. In the US, they're saying it's 33. Uh, that's a kind of uh, an odd number, huh? 33 million. Anywho, moving on. So, um, now he doesn't have the, the top selling album in the U.S. Globally, he still he still reigns supreme. Now, for some odd reason, reason, he got people upset and all their feelings about Michael not having the, the number one album sold in the U.S. People calling conspiracy and. Um, you know, the people accusing people of fudging the numbers, yada, yada, yada. It, it's just ridiculous. How long did y'all expect Michael to, to hold the top spot? We're talking about, what is this, 35, 40 years? Did, you, did people really expect him to be the top selling album holder for, for forever? Um, now, let me get to the Eagles. Now, for the old heads to understand the Eagles, the Eagles are no slouch, okay? Now, by the time Thriller came out, they had already put out a greatest hits album. Like the Eagles had been doing their thing for a good long minute. And if you know anything about Don Henley and, and Glenn Fry, their solo careers alone, you know, will give anybody a run for their money. But um, I, what I'm saying is, I, I, I understand. It, it's okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm 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 scratching my head. I'm befuddled why you know Blackfoot was so upset, and that the thought of someone could outsell Michael. And this is just the U.S. numbers. We're not talking global. And um, I don't think people give the Eagles enough credit. Like the Eagles got, they don't have not hit. They have timeless classics. Like you don't know, you you you've heard Hotel California. Okay, you've heard that song somewhere. Um, uh, you've heard Don Henley's um, Boys of Summer. That, that one particular song. I mean, just give the Eagles some credit, man. Like, seriously. They're, just, they're no slouches. I get it. We all love Mike. We hold, we hold Mike in high esteem and high regard. But come on, man. Like, don't act like some of these white boys didn't put in some serious work and make some seriously awesome records. And it's disingenuous. Um, 
not just to them, but because these guys played. These guys were musicians. At the end of the day, Michael was not a musician. And you know how I feel about that. I'm always going to go with the musician. I don't give a what color he is. Okay, you can play an instrument, you're all right with me. Okay, because that takes a certain skill, discipline, mindset. Okay? And, you know, some some part of that is, is intelligence. Okay, you got to know your scales, chords, you, you know, your octaves, whatever, your notes. Um, not to take anything away from Michael, but you take Quincy Jones away from Michael. Okay, let, let, let's be honest. If you, you take Quincy Jones away from Michael, you 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 would have like off the wall ish and off the wall ish album, okay? Like Quincy is the reason why Thriller is the way it is. And Michael is one thing. That's like you know the Bulls with Jordan. Okay, yeah, Mike put in the work, but it was Phil Jackson that gave him the triangle offense to run, okay? Give give the coaches respect. Um, I, I just don't understand how, I mean, this black folks out here really out here calling a conspiracy that they fudged the numbers on purpose to, uh, to, to knock Mike down a peg. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, the Eagles have always, that greatest hit album has always been a high seller, regardless. And you gotta understand that another part of the thing that works against that was for Michael is not with Michael but for the Eagles okay the Eagles um their song categories right they're not pop they're like adult contemporary so that means you'll hear their songs in an elevator so that means you'll you'll you know I'm not saying you would hear a Michael song in an elevator but you're more apt to hear Hotel California and the majority of the movies Right for trailers or things of that nature because uh, mainly because of the pigmentation and of, because of the music category. Okay, Mike has always been considered um, R&B urban pop. Let's not let's not misconstrue that. Yeah, Mike is mainstream, but at the end of the day, he's an urban artist. Okay, one of the greatest of all time. Don't get me wrong, but he's still somewhat in the box. Okay, the Eagles have no box to put in. Now, I'm not, I'm not for or against anyone, but what I'm saying is, um, you, you know, like to, 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 to diminish the Eagles, and I, I have that album. Like the Eagles, that greatest hit album, if you listen to that, that Eagles album, you understand why I'm saying, like, yo, don't, don't disrespect the Eagles like that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, that album is, is every song is a, is, is a monster. Every song on that album is a timeless classic. I'm not saying it doesn't have a timeless classic, but listen, you're not going to hear Billy Jean on, um, you know, in, in, in Spokane, Washington. Let's be honest. You're not going to hear it on that platform, per se. You're going to hear the Hotel California on that platform. Okay? So, and yes, the comments, yes, I said I will always choose a musician over a performing artist every time every time because to be a musician you have to have some type of talent and discipline okay you can practice singing and dancing all day and i'm not saying singing and dancing is not a particular skill but a, to play an instrument and to learn your chords and to read sheet music and to write sheet music 
that's something totally, totally, that's next level. I'm sorry. And like I said, I know just somebody, I, I still put James Brown with a mic. You know why? Because James Brown was a musician. He can he could sit there and tell his band exactly what he wants and he would change his songs and make performances. Y'all seen how James would do. This guy would find his own band members five dollars for every miscount, misbeat during the performance. That's how sharp James was. This dude was a pure, pure musician, regardless. No diss to Mike, and Mike is no slouch. But you know, there's there's a certain you have to there's a certain mindset, a certain level that you have to put these guys a little bit over. You know, and like I said, you know, uh, you take Quincy Jones away from Thriller, you have Off the Wall, Part Two, basically. And then um, you gotta give the writers credit for for uh, for, uh, for Thriller as well. Now, I mean, Mike wrote some songs, Quincy, but. Uh, who's the guy? Rod uh, Templeton, one of, the, one of the writers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mike's project is more of a collaboration amongst different individuals. Different people came together to help Mike take it to the next level. The Eagles didn't need to do that. It was the Eagles. Okay. You see the difference. There was three, four, five guys that played instruments that came together and said, "Hey, we're gonna do this," and they wrote a monster monster hits okay so um i think i need people get out their feelings they couldn't make anything about race they couldn't make anything a conspiracy if god forbid someone outsells somebody you know the main thing all we cared about is that he he, he outsold elvis i was happy with that as long as he outsold, El, outsold elvis we're okay so god forbid not the eagles like come on the eagles even if you don't know who they are you know their songs Period. You know this song. You know this song if you hear it. So, all right, I got a caller calling in. Caller, what's going on? Hello, caller. Hello, caller. Don't you talk about Michael. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Let me put you on speaker real quick. I'm sorry. What, what, what did I say bad about Michael? Hello? Did I lose you? Okay. Call us on the upset that I was, I was talking bad about Michael. I was not talking bad about Michael. I, I'm just saying, like, come on out. Mike had a lot of help. The Thriller, a lot of help. So, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, <laughs> if you guys just want to call in. <laughs> the number is six seven eight six zero three four three nine three. Let's see. And the Eagles, Eagles. I'm just looking at the Eagles numbers, and they're like right, right there. Like they've always, they've always been like second or third behind Mike, so they've never been too far off Mike's pace. Yeah, at one point they were number three. At one point they were number two. So they went from 16 um, million to 26 million. Yeah, they were never too far off the pace. You know. And you got to understand that, you know, Mike had a huge machine. Um, Mike had the, 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 
MTV, you know, once Tony Matola got it, once Tony got involved and got MTV's ass about not playing his videos and stuff, like he had the visual um, to push them to the next level. Like, you know, um, the ego's not so much, but I'm, like I said, I'm not taking away nothing from anybody, but don't act like, you know, the greatest hit happens if there's no slouch or there's no fluke. Clearly, it's not a fluke. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Comments. And I, I personally thought Off the Wall was a better. I liked Off the Wall better than Thriller. Thriller was his pop record. That was his mainstream record. Off the Wall was like this is Mike. You know, if you just wanna, if you just wanna Michael, you know, if you just want Michael in his essence, Off the Wall. If you want pop Michael, mainstream Michael, Thriller. You know, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty obvious to me it is. I got a question saying we factored in that there's a group and Michael Solo. I mean, at one point Mike was part of a group. So I you gonna you gonna you gonna put the Jackson Five against the Eagles? Hell, I put the Silvers over the Jackson Five. The Silvers were far more talented by far than the Jackson Five. By far. The Barges far more talented than Michael, no, than the Jackson. By far. But for whatever reason, it didn't work out that way. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, Jackson Five are cool, but let's 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 not let's not lose sight of what you know what what's great and whatnot. The Barges and the Silvers are more talented than those guys. You take Mike, you take L, you take one of the, the lead singers of the Silvers. They can all match up just the same. So that's me personally. I like Mike, but let's not get crazy with this shit. Now, come on. You know, L can write. The Silvers, they were all writing, all of them. The Jacksons didn't write their stuff. Stop that nonsense. Okay? They, those guys were always polished. They were, they were already consummate artists. They were self-contained. Okay? Those first Jackson 5 albums were trash. But it... it <laughs> It is what it is. I don't want to get into a, a music debate. We can save this for the next time, you know. But, uh, you know, like I said, no distance to Mike and the Jackson, but let's let's stop. You, you know, you're talking about the contemporaries, they, they would get smoked. They would get smoked. I mean, the Partridge family, <laughs> they played me. You know, Dave Cassidy. Don't, don't have me bring up David, <laughs> David Cassidy. <laughs> he could play. He could write music. You know, he was just as... You know, a bigger, a big teeny popper, just like anybody else. But it is what it is. I, I enjoy the conversation too. I didn't. I enjoy the debates. But um, I just need people to have you know level heads when it comes to this. People put too much of their feelings and emotions into it. I'm trying to change. It's it's it's, it's, uh, it's understandable, you know. But it is what it is. But stop playing with the eagles. Eagles are no no jokes. Um, so yeah. With that being said, I got five minutes left. I'm not going to drag this out for you guys. I'm moving ahead and just. We're going to end it right now. Um, I will hold the line for maybe one more minute in case someone decides to call in. Remember, 678-603-4293. Yeah. Um, Like I said, no no diss to Mike. I like Mike. I love Mike. I mean, musically, musically, you could put Prince above Mike. You know why? Because Prince played instruments. Is that up for a debate? I don't think so. 
I, I think Mike's songs. Um, okay, Prince was the better, better artist per se because he could do it all. But Mike's songs um, had struck more of a chord with people. You understand? Like Mike's songs had greater impact with the people. Prince was a better artist, period. But that doesn't mean you always leave a lasting impression. You know, because you know Prince did a lot of gimmicks and all that good stuff. And and really, you could you could accuse Prince of biting the uh, James's style a whole lot. That's why they didn't get along so much, which I can understand. Because you know what you see in Prince is really Rick James, you know, on steroids for, for the most part. You know, but um. You know, you, like I said, you, you're going to have a hard time ever convincing me a solo performance artist will ever can, can be considered better than, than, a, than a musician. Okay, so with that being said, um, you know, I'm going to wrap this up. I want to thank everybody for giving me that time and energy, hanging out with me tonight and listening to me wax poetic about stuff. Once again, you know, I'm going to give a shout out to Ron Aboard, uh, producer Cindy Ashby. You can always find us on the www.ontheweightofradio.com. We're always on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher for the replays. Uh, you can find me on YouTube under Superfly75 and Heavily Ford Individual. Once again, merchandise is available always through teespring.com uh, forward slash Superfly75. So with that being said, I wish you all a good night, and I will see you again on the next go-round. All right, peace. Imperial Media Collective. Cindy Ashley 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 Ashley